calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Geek Buddies! <gasps> hey! hey! We're back at it with our Friday weekly show, getting into the world of geekery and talking about all the things that are going on in the world of geekdom. But we should introduce ourselves first. I am the outlaw John Roker, writer, producer, and host here on The Geek Buddies. I am Michael Vogel, writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. What animated TV shows and movies? Well, Shannon is going to tell you. <laughs> because this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer where you can see some of our current work right now every weekend on YouTube with the third season of Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City Season 3. You can also see Seasons 1 and 2 on Netflix. Nice, nice, good promotion there for sure. Uh, and speaking of promotion, let me promote with you, promote you all, uh, promote to you all the topics we're going to talk about today. We're going to get into a bunch of new trailers that happened this week. We're going to talk about that Avatar pilot, a non-spoiler review of that Avatar pilot, uh, our first episode, however you want to call it. We're also going to get into some news here with Tom Cruise, and we're going to talk about a bunch of other stuff going on in the world of geekdom alike bad batch uh season three episodes one through three that's going to be our main topic and the way the show works is each of us brings up a topic we talk about it amongst ourselves take a break in between each but then talk about our big main topic which as i said is the bad batch spoiler review for episodes one through three of season three but i kick things off here with some tom cruise news which i'm very excited to talk about here uh you guys know i'm a massive tom cruise fan and, well, it broke uh, yesterday in the afternoon that he is going to be starring in Alejandro Iñárritu's next film at Warner Brothers and Legendary. And this, of course, goes along with what happened recently with Tom Cruise signing a deal with Warner Brothers, exploring multiple projects that he wants to be a part of. And this will be Iñárritu's first uh, film that he's done, English-language film that he's done uh, since uh, 2000. Uh, 18's, uh, uh, sorry, 2015's The Revenant, which I think is fantastic to see because I enjoyed uh, Roma and I enjoyed his other films that he's done here. And uh, and Birdman, of course, was fantastic. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to be doing here with Tom Cruise. Gentlemen, your thoughts on this? Tom Cruise and Iñárritu, not necessarily who you'd think, but if you look at Birdman, another 1980s star, Michael Keaton kind of being reborn and put into a fantastic film uh, directed by Iñárritu. So is this maybe a, a possible Oscar, best actor Oscar nomination that we're looking at for Tom Cruise in the future here. What do you all think of this combo? I mean, I think it's, I think for Tom Cruise, I think it's an incredibly smart move. Um, you know, Tom Cruise has been, um, been at the head of some real big hits mm. in the last few years, actually for most of his career. Um, but I think something we haven't seen in a while is him with a director that seems like, it would challenge him. Yeah. Like it's been a while since we've seen him work with like 
someone like Oliver Stone, like with Born on the Fourth of July. I mean, someone like PTA with Magnolia. Um, you know, we had heard and like, John, you might be able to uh, uh, tell me where this is. Like yeah. Tom Cruise was maybe going to be appearing in Tarantino's latest film. Yes, the- that's that's still in play right now. Yes, for sure. So, I mean, as much as I love action Tom Cruise, I love, it's very cathartic watching Tom Cruise beat the crap out of somebody. Like, I would like to see him stretch his acting muscles a little bit because one of the things that has made him one of the biggest movie stars in the world is the fact that he is an incredible actor. And all you have to do is revisit some of those films like those born on the 4th of July, like those Magnolias, like even A Few Good Men to know that this guy is a, a truly, truly talented guy um, and hopefully uh, Inuritu is able to pull something out of him that maybe we haven't seen in a bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to do a quick clarification. Roma was Alfonso Cuaron. I was thinking Bardo, which is one of my favorite films of the last few years. Bardo is the one that uh, Inuritu directed that recently about a director's experience, very meta film. I preferred that over um, the Fableman's film, so I, I, I liked that <laughs> film. So Inuritu <clears throat> has been one of my favorite directors for quite some time, and Tom Cruise obviously has been one of my favorite actors for quite some time. Michael, what do you think of this combo? Is this Tom Cruise telling us that, look, I enjoy doing the Mission Impossible. I know it underperformed Dead Reckoning Part 1. Maybe fan and, and the Top Gun Maverick getting the responses that he got $1.5 billion because he did some really vulnerable, interesting acting in that movie. Do you think he's sensing from his public that they want to see more of that? And this is an opportunity for him to do that with Inuritu. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh... I, I, you know, I think Tom Cruise, I, I, let me put it this way. Uh, yes. Tom Cruise is at that point, there are there are actors or directors or people in the creative community that are a certain <laughs> level of their career that when the audience says we liked it or we didn't like it, they get really nervous and have to switch gears. Yeah, true. Tom Cruise, does, true. Tom Cruise doesn't have to listen to anybody. He has more money than any of us are ever going to have. He's, he's happy to do what he's going to do. And I think so if Tom Cruise is choosing to do something, he's choosing to do it just because Tom Cruise wants to do it. Okay. Um, not, and not in response to anything. But I do think... Um, I'll say it a little bit differently than Shannon. You know, you had mentioned Keaton and Birdman and sort yeah. of reviving his career. Yeah. I'm really waiting, because I think Tom Cruise is an amazing actor, I'm really waiting for Tom Cruise to settle into the actor he's going to be in his later years. Oh, yeah. And I don't know what that is. And he's in his later years, but True. he's still playing the same. I mean, he, literally, he's still playing the same roles. He's still Maverick. Uh, yeah. He's still Ethan Hunt. He's been Ethan Hunt for 45 years. Like, yeah. it's just... <laughs> it's just like and he's good at it i mean god love him tom cruise goes and jumps off a cliff and we all go watch him jump off a cliff like oh, yeah. he's still got the magic but at some point it's gonna to some people maybe we've already passed that point mm. um but at a certain point it's like you can't do that anymore and i think michael keaton is such a great example of kind of just like stepping into his age in a really graceful way and then playing these roles that really we all love older Keaton. Mm. Um, you know, Travolta did this uh, way back in the day. You know, Tra- Travolta was off the radar. Travolta yeah. was playing co-star to a baby and look who's talking with <laughs> Kirstie Alley. And then Tarantino came out with Pulp Fiction and it sort of put Travolta into a whole new sort of category. And so with Tom Cruise, it's like, what is old Tom Cruise? Mm. Like, what is that? Yeah. And even when you look at like what Robert Downey Jr. did in Oppenheimer, yeah. like, look, if 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 Robert Downey Jr. came back tomorrow and said he was going to pop into an MCU film and be Tony Stark again, we're all on board. Like, I'm happy oh, yeah. to see Robert Downey Jr. do whatever he wants. But playing a role like he did in Oppenheimer, which is a much older, different role for him, a character role, yeah. he nailed it. And I would love to see Tom Cruise do more of that. And so if this is in that category, I'm very intrigued. Yeah. Yeah, as am I. I mean, this is going to be fun to see what Inorito can bring out of Tom Cruise. And maybe we should be fair on this, what Tom Cruise can bring out of Inorito, because all the great directors do get something out of working with these phenomenal actors. And what he got out of Michael Keaton, uh, I thought was incredible to see, but still worked within the scope of who Michael Keaton was. Because when you watch that movie, there's a lot of sequences in Birdman that are like outlandish humor within a very serious construct about his life. So if there's some kind of action, some kind of meta action way to mess with Tom Cruise at the same time while he's doing uh, this film with Inurito, it could be interesting. Or we'll just get a straight Revenant type film where he's really getting into the grittiness of a story like he did with uh, DiCaprio in that film. So yeah, yeah, I just like this combo 
uh, a thousand percent, you know, and I was recent, we recently did a, a rewatch of the color of money on the cinephiles. And although that's 1986 and that's the same year as top gun and you watch that movie, there are moments, you know, aside from the pool cue and the whoa, 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 all that shit, when there's quieter moments between him and Newman, there's a real actor inside that, you know, a real hungry young actor inside that Tom Cruise body. So I think this is a great combo that's going to bring that out again for us to enjoy all over again. So look, it, it is Shannon. And you, I mean, you're both 100 percent right. Like I, we're all in agreement on the fact that, like, look, Tom Cruise has made a career off of being Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, true. And and he's very good at being Tom Cruise. He he shows up in a movie. He gives you that Tom Cruise smile. He Tom Cruises his way through the movie, and he's great. He's great yeah. at it. And so you do sometimes forget that he's actually a great actor. Yeah, yeah. Like he he really really is. And when he does it. You're like, damn, he's he's got that. So yes, I, I think we're all in agreement that like this this seems like an opportunity that we can see a different side of what he usually does. Yeah. Uh, and hey, look, see what happens. Well, my Shannon, what were you gonna say? Well, no, I was gonna say talking about stepping in, uh, the way Michael Keaton sort of stepped into his age yeah. with Birdman. I mean, I feel like Cruz, like when you think about that movie, I, I think it could have happened with that movie Lions for Lambs, um, where Ooh, he played right. kind of an underhanded politician. Yeah, right. And granted, that movie didn't wasn't the most successful, didn't really turn out that great, but that, that attempt um, was really something that I'm like, God, I wish he would do more of this. Just like when he did Collateral with mm-hmm. Michael Mann, I mean, really playing the bad guy. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a charisma and a charm to him, but that, that was just a different color that we hadn't seen. So right. at this point in his career, when his movie, when one of his movies potentially saved the movie theater going experience, yeah. he, he has, he has bought a little bit of goodwill from the audience to be like, you know what? Let's, Let's experiment a little bit. Yeah, born on the fourth of July, uh, as you mentioned, Collateral, uh, Top Gun, Maverick, and and uh, Magnolia. I mean, these are incredible performances all around um, from Tom Cruise. And so to see him get a shot at doing something like this again, I think is really exciting for all of us who are Tom Cruise fans um, because we love him as an actor for sure. Let's, let us not forget Tropic Thunder. Yes, which by the way, you may default and think that's just a fun, outlandish character, and he's going out there. He made that real while also making it um, uh, to while making it big, and that's not easy to do. It takes a really skilled actor to do that to make that guy believable, but also ridiculous at the same. I'm gonna point. have to go watch. I'm gonna have to go watch Tropic Thunder this oh, week. Man. I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I I think it might be time for a Tropic Thunder rewatch. Tom Cruise. He has a moment in that where he's talking about like they're basically gonna let Ben Stiller die. Yeah, and he's talking about like he's a supernova. He's a supernova. He's flaming out. It's inevitable. Like there is a moment. There's an intensity that I would have to imagine Ben Stiller behind the cameras like. I wanted that to be a little funnier, but I don't want him. I don't want to say anything to him. Yeah, we got it, Tom. Let's move on. Asia's my territory, Jack. Uh, so yeah, there we go. <laughs> Let's take a quick break and we'll jump into some uh, new. Uh, we'll jump into our conversation on Avatar: Last Airbender, the uh, li- live action version here on Netflix. Right after this. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. I could think about it was a picture of a a bomb coming in. Wow! Nature's titties. Yeah. All right. Anyway, what do you got for us, Mikey? Well, Avatar: The Last Airbender, the live action adaptation of Nickelodeon's insanely popular Avatar: The Last Airbender, has arrived on Netflix. All eight episodes are now available. You can go watch them. Um, That is what a lot of geeks are going to be doing this weekend, and uh, the three of us will absolutely be doing a full spoiler review of the series uh, once the weekend is over and people have watched it. But uh, given that this is what everybody's talking about, we definitely did want to touch on it today and kind of talk about like first responses, including ours, in a non-spoiler way. So even if you haven't watched Avatar yet, we're not going to spoil anything. I mean... The series has existed for 20 years, so there's no major surprises, but we're not going to spoil anything. Um, But, you know, the reviews are 
decidedly mixed. It is currently sitting at 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, some of the reviews are not so uh, exci- uh, excited about the series. You know, USA Today says Avatar The Last Airbender, Netflix gets it oh so wrong. Um, the Verge says Netflix Avatar's review, another live action misfire. Uh, BBC says why the much hyped new Netflix show is the worst remake in why the worst of remake culture. Oof. And Variety says Last Airbender show is a beautifully crafted disappointment. So, uh, critics, not huge fans. If you go to Twitter right now, there's a lot of people who love Avatar The Last Airbender who seem to be really enjoying what the Netflix series has done. So, uh, you know, we've talked about this a lot with the Madam Web uh, discussion we had earlier this week on Geek Bites. Shannon talked about how Madam Web is one of those moments where critics and fans all seem to be aligned. Yeah. This seems to be one where critics are going one way and hardcore fans of Avatar are going another way, which is... Not rare in the current world of social media. Um, but yeah, probably I would say Netflix was probably hoping for more from critics as far as the current response, which I would re- I would call tepid at best. Um, so, gentlemen, I know that I am by a by a flying bison mile, I am the I am the biggest avatar fan out of the three of us. Mm. Shannon has watched it. Roka has never seen the animated one. Yeah, yeah. So I know we've all watched the first episode. Yeah. Uh, given where critics are currently at, given where a lot of fans on Twitter are at, where are you guys? Well, without, you know, going into spoilers, um, right now, because I won't get in, I, I don't think a lot of the acting works. I, I think especially from our from our younger cast members. Um but I try to provide a little bit of space there in that depending on how they shot this, my guess is that they did start, even if they were cross-boarding, which means you're shooting, you're shooting in one location, everything uh, before you move on to another, despite where that location is in an episode order. Um, my guess is that they did probably start with episode one. So I'm kind of hoping that the younger cast members kind of um, grow into their roles that the the more that they're at it, the better and more comfortable they get. Um, because across the board, our our, our main three with Aang, um, Sokka, and Katara, um, you know, they are the stars of this show. Um, and, and Prince Zuko as well. Um, I think on the acting side, it leaves a little to be desired. In terms of what the bending actually looks like, I think it looks cool. I think I think that is something that they actually did get right. I mean, watching the earth bending, watching the fire bending, the air bending, the water bending, everything looks pretty good. In terms of production design of the world, I think this is where it kind of drops the ball a little bit. And I think this probably just comes from you only have so much money. Um, a lot There are a lot of, you know, very obvious, you know, blue screen and green screen shots um, where it does look, the background just looks a little flat. It, it looks like it looks like someone standing in front of a screen standing on a tee. Um, and also just the way the world is designed, it just doesn't look lived in. It looks very, everything looks brand spanking new. I mean, Aang's in that, in that little, you know, ball that he constructed for a hundred years and his stuff comes out. It is bright red, bright yellow. (laughs) Um, even at the water tribe, like those blues, they just stand, they're just so perfect. And I think that obviously has nothing to do with the cast. I mean, that that is a production, that's a production issue. Um, and my guess is that's not going to change, that those are probably what those costumes are going to look like unless they're in a big, big battle and they're supposed to be showing damage or whatever. But um, I think that's kind of that's kind of my issue with the show. And I think a, a lot of people probably will not have that issue. But it's hard for me to buy into the world when the world just looks so false. Yeah, I think I would echo a lot of the feeling Shannon has. Uh, I think the the although I think the the female actress I think is better than the two other uh, dude actors. Uh, the, uh, so the male actors there in in the in the main trio, um, uh, I did have problems with a lot of the acting. Um, but my and I guess you're right about the flatness. There were moments that I was like, oh wow, this this looks like the volume, and that it really doesn't look like the volume. And and you see that it looks like this is something you shot in the 90s, where the way they're using some of the CGI, and perhaps that's a limit on the budget, perhaps, uh, or maybe that's intentional that they wanted to look like this kind of 
um, combo of what you'd see what you'd see in an animated series versus what you see in a live action. So maybe trying to find the the middle ground between the two. Um, for me, I think it just rushed too much into the story. Like, let's slow down. Let's get to know Ang a little bit more. Let's let's spend some time with him. Let's spend some time with the tribe. Let's really. I don't want to have voiceover because I haven't seen the animated series, so I don't come in with all this locked in knowledge about the situation. So I'm like, give me something more. Let me hear more than just a voice over about the airbender and the avatar and the earth bending and the water bending and the fire bending and all the elements and stuff i want to get to know ang and his tribe more oh why are the kids why are they jealous of him let's find out more like i just wanted to more of that i think they started out too quickly although i enjoyed the james bond beginning of the action in the in the opening scene of the pilot i don't think that's how they should have started the show i think getting us into this world and really engrossing us in this world and then ramping up the action ramping up the story ranking up the stakes i think would have been a better way to go the pilot feels so rushed that i'm just like okay i guess i'm supposed to care about all of this and i'm supposed to be invested in all of this but then you're going to shove away the main kid for like 20 minutes into an ice flow or something and so it just kind of just threw me off as i was watching the show some of the, the dialogue is really stilted and it feels delivered like they're trying to mirror what you saw in the animated series. Because I have seen some scenes from the animated series. And I thought that kind of undercut it overall. But I've only seen one episode. And sometimes, like like Frasier recently, which just got a, a season two renewal. I hated those first two episodes. And the show got exponentially better as it went along. But the reviews are mixed. So I don't know if it's going to get better for me as it goes along. But... The first episode was just kind of a disappointment, I would say, overall. But I'm not out of it yet. It's just I feel like it's going to be a slog. Uh, and it feels a little young for me. And I was hoping for something maybe a little bit older in terms of its approach uh, for me. So, yeah, that, those are my general thoughts on it. Mike? Yeah, I think I, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. Like, look, as, as someone who really loves Avatar, hmm. uh, I don't know that anything is ever going to be better than the animated series. Like, I think it's yeah. just the animated series. The reason that 20 years later we're making this show is because the animated series is still to this day as popular as it is. And they've announced recently that I think we have a movie coming out either later this year or the beginning of next year that's an animated movie that is about the continued adult adventures of Aang, Sokka, and Katara. And I think mm. everyone's very excited about more animated Avatar stuff. Um, look, the last time we got a live-action Avatar, it was M. Night Shyamalan's movie. Oof. That's bad. <laughs> yeah. On... Every conceivable level, it's bad. The bending is bad. The casting is bad. The story is bad. Like, all of it's bad. So here, I think we do have a team of people that clearly love the source material hmm. and are very clearly trying to do their best to bring that story to live action uh, in, in, in the best possible way. Um, I do think there's a lot of missteps along the way. Um, I didn't actually key in on this at first and somebody else pointed it out and it's exactly what Shannon said, which is part of the issue is it's not a lived in world. Like every yeah. costume looks like it's right off the rack. It is crisp. It is bright. It is clear. And those little things, even though you don't notice them, start to add up after a while. You're like, why doesn't this feel real? Tangible. And, and, it, and I couldn't figure it out. Um, and then somebody else pointed out it's true. I think, look, they've made a big deal. When you read all the articles leading up to the launch of Avatar, they they reference Game of Thrones a lot. Mm. A lot. Like, they're like, we, we know that we're taking this beloved kids brand and we're bringing it to the big screen and we want to do right by the people that grew up loving the Nickelodeon show. But those people are grown up now. And because Netflix wants this to be a big fantasy franchise, we want this to be like Game of Thrones. We want this to be this thing that people jump onto. And it's and it because we're dealing with what the Fire Nation does and the genocide of the airbenders and everything else, like we really want to ground this. And, and so you see the genocide of the airbenders, which we didn't see in the show. You see more death at the hands of the Fire Nation, which we don't see in the show. But... Kind of to John's point, I think at the end of the day, and again, I've only watched the first couple episodes, and so, and I'm obviously spending my weekend with Avatar on Netflix, but I feel like they had a really hard time finding that balance between a really warm kid show with a cast of characters that's funny and quirky and silly and the heavier stuff they wanted to do. Mm. And I think one of the reasons that it kind of falls apart is one of the reasons that makes Game of Thrones such a great series is 
how long does it take Ned Stark to get to King's Landing in the first season? Yeah. Like, yeah. like there's like people are like on yeah. the road for a long time and time yeah. passes and characters sit on their horses or at campsites and have scenes where they're talking. And because they took 20 episodes of the animated series and condensed them into eight episodes on Netflix, the entire episode feels just like a mad dash to get to the Northern Water Tribe. And yeah. you don't get those character moments. You don't. So they're kind of shoving in character moments. There's a lot of people yelling, a lot of plot and exposition and everything at everybody else constantly. And you're sort of picking up the character moments that you can along the way. And look, this isn't really, I, I do think some of the dialogue is stilted and some of the writing is not uh, top okay. tier. Look at him struggling. Um, but um, but I think that but I think like th it's no fault of the writers that they got an eight episode order, and that yeah. Netflix was like, let's do book one, let's do book one in eight episodes. Like that that in and of itself, right off the bat, is not a great idea. Mm. And you can see as they're weaving stories together and taking two or three episodes of worth of characters and putting them in one episode, and well, let's like have them do this instead. And like there's there's a lot of things where you're like. I think you came up with the best possible solution, right? given right. that you only have eight episodes. But if John, who's never even seen these characters before, is like, this feels super rushed, that's not giving you that more adult Game of Thrones experience. So yeah. I, I do think it's kind of, at least thus far for me, not, not quite fish nor fowl. Like, I love these characters. And I'm going to go on, on this journey with them. And because these characters and this world does at least feel like the characters from the animated series much more than M. Night Shyamalan's did, I'm in for the ride. Um, but it's been a bumpy ride so far. Yeah, I, I would I do want to add, I don't want to be all negative. I love the bending. The bending is awesome. Like, I was, like, really impressed by that. Although I didn't like that they start off with that opening action scene like a James Bond movie. The bending in the action scene was fucking cool. So... There is some cool elements that I said that I think, and especially the the flying bison. That's some great special effects to make that believable and make that work. At least for me, I enjoyed that. So there are some really cool imagery. Uh, like like uh, you read one of the reviews, a beautiful looking disappointment. I 100% agree with that. There's a lot here that to marvel at in terms of how they've approached the look of this thing. Um, but like I watched the two first two episodes of Shogun right before I watched this at a screening. And that's a lived in world. That's a world where the, you know, you still see some really good looking uh, outfits and costumes, but there's also uh, lived in costumes, lived in outfits. So it, it makes that work overall. And as you said, Michael, I think that's the thing that, um, that, that person you read, I think completely nailed. It just feels too new as opposed lived in. And I think that's, hopefully that changes as the show goes along. We'll see. Well, and and to try to focus on some of the positives, I mean, mm -hmm. I do agree that like Appa, Appa looks great. Mm -hmm. Whenever Aang hugs Appa, I'm like, man, that that looks really, really good. And I do agree. I mean, I think when you have a world that is as big as this, um, you kind of need a budget as big as that to properly kind of execute mm -hmm. everything. And I think they kind of they made they made their choices where they made their choices. Like yeah. we want to make sure that the bending looks great. We want to make sure Appa looks great. Does that mean some of the backgrounds don't look awesome? Yeah, but it's like okay, what are you? What are people going to come away with? Right. Uh, yeah. The background looked weird. Boy, that that fire bending looked real silly. Like the bending looks awesome. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, all right, so we're going to continue to watch it, I guess, and then we're going to review it next week, probably for yeah. an episode of Geek Bites, a full on uh, review of this thing. So uh, look for that coming next week um anything more to say on this mic before we uh, take a quick break um I, I think that like look for everybody who loves avatar uh who will always love avatar like i think it's going to be a really fun weekend for a lot of people i think that seeing katara ang zuko sokka kiyoshi everybody uh like coming to life in live action is cool and they've clearly tried to bring that spirit to the big screen or to the live action small screen, I guess, yeah. uh, in the best way possible. So I think it's going to be fun. <laughs> and then we'll see how the rest of it goes. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll jump into some trailers here right after this. All right, take it away, my man. 
with trailers, trailers, trailers. We got three brand new trailers for you. One's coming to your small screen, two are coming to the big screen. But the first one we're going to talk about is the new Netflix series, The Gentleman. This is the second trailer. This is a spinoff of the Guy Ritchie film, The Gentleman. But Guy Ritchie is involved. He directed a few episodes. He wrote a few episodes. Um, and The Gentleman, for me, is one of the best Guy Ritchie movies in the last few years. It is basically about Matthew McConaughey's character, Mickey Pearson, who has this weed empire in the uk but where the show picks up is uh our our uh star theo james um inherits his uh his family's estate and come to find out theo james from white uh second season of white lotus who is a uh, james uh, uh, uh james franco's doppelganger um his family uh his family estate is um secretly one of the weed uh outposts for Matthew McConaughey's Mickey Pearson character. And we find out just what exactly Theo James plans on doing. Um, I was in from the first trailer and the second trailer got me even more excited. I mean, again, the gentleman with Charlie Hunnam, Hugh Grant, Colin Farrell, or yeah, Colin Farrell um, was just really, really great. And the gentleman television cast is just as impressive. You know, you have the aforementioned Theo James, you have Kaya uh, Scodelario, you have Ray Winstone, Vinnie Jones. I mean, it's sort of a a Guy Ritchie British who's who. Um, but gentlemen, I'll throw it over to you first. John, I know this seems like your cup of tea. What oh. did you think of our second look at the gentleman? Yeah, I haven't started Sexy Beast yet on Paramount Plus, but I, that is on the list to start because I'm hearing great things about that as well. So seeing this being transferred over from what I enjoyed, and I agree with you, uh, Shannon, this is one of the best guy Ritchie films over the last few years that goes back to what he did well with snatch and lock stock and two smoking barrels and i really enjoyed the gentleman having an american element be an overt part of the gentleman i thought was great to see with matthew mcconaughey and now having uh um jim carlos Bozido in this i thought was great to have that little bit of american element but yes the different characters here and it's this kind of thing where, where we're getting involved in this we don't want to get involved in this but we need to go this route we need to do these things we need to become these things in order to survive in this crazy environment I thought it was great. All the different accents. Having Vinnie Jones in here, I thought it was fantastic. Great. Winstone looking debonair. And I agree with you. Kaya Scudelario from like, what was the film with her and the Galligator Crawl or whatever it was called? Crawl. Yeah. It was, she's a good actress, by the way. And so having her be in a, in a situation like this, I think I'm very much looking forward to it. So just across the board, this one checked all my boxes. And I'm more excited to see this than I was Sexy B. So I may jump into this before I jump into sexy beast so that says something about this trailer for sure mikey what do you think do you like the gentleman i mean he's a hot gentleman so i'm in <laughs> uh, i mean he's not only james franco's doppelganger he's james franco's hotter doppelganger which is hard because james franco's pretty hot um no i think it looks great i think you guys are right it, it feels like old school guy richie and it just yeah, feels yeah. like a like sometimes like with with a, with a kind of setup like this like i always love something that has a setup that is complex in its simplicity mm. like guy inherits big building this is great by the way there's a drug empire underneath all you got to do is leave us alone everybody's happy p.s he doesn't leave everybody alone okay <laughs> hijinks ensue like it, it just looks like a ton of fun um that doesn't feel messy it doesn't feel overcomplicated. like maybe it will be but just based on the trailer like they did a really nice job of laying out like this is what this is going to be this is what you're in for yeah uh and kind of like what you were saying you know just the it's the it, it's the breaking bad of it all it's a story that we love it's the to do the right thing i'm gonna become the wrong thing and that's the journey that i'm going on and i think that's all when you tell that story well it's a really compelling story so yeah i'm super in i think this looks great yeah. Well, The Gentleman Drops on Netflix, March 7th. That brings us to our next trailer, which this one is uh, this one is off the wall. This one is called Boy Kills World. This stars Bill Skarsgård, Michelle Dockery, Famke Janssen, Brett Gelman, and in, uh, in, a, in a voice role, uh, uh, Archer himself. Bob from Bob's Burgers. It's uh, H. John Benjamin. Um, so yeah, this one is uh, basically about a, a, a guy named Boy, who is the old adult version is played by Bill Skarsgård. He is a deaf mute whose family is murdered by Famke Jansen, and he ends up training with a mysterious shaman to um, to take his revenge. I mean, in terms of uh, blood on faces, this one looks like it's going to have a lot. I mean, this just looks just uh, just 
off the wall. Seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm getting elements of like Squid Game in here. Like at one point, there are uh, mascots trying to trying to kill some of our heroes. It just looks wild. <laughs> but uh, I will throw it over to you all, Mikey. What do you think? Boy kills world. Is he going to win? <laughs> well, first of all, H. John Benjamin. H. John Benjamin, you go, Coach McGurk first. He was oh, Coach McGurk. One hundred percent. Home movies or Bob. Home yeah, movies. Coach McGurk. Uh, right. That voice is one of the all-time great voices. <laughs> Having that voice connected to Skarsgård is very jarring. Like it's like I'm, I was like, why, why, why is why is Coach McGurk? Why, why do we got? Why is Bob? Why is Bob from Bob's Burgers talking right now? And then it's like I chose this voice in my head because I'm deaf and like I'm a deaf mute, and this was a voice in a video game, and so now this is my voice. And I was like. Okay, so that's the type of movie we're in for. Got it. All right, cool. Uh, we'll see. I think this is one of those. Uh, this is one of the like it's wild, and it's either going to be wild in all the right ways or the wrong ways for me. I don't know. It's got you know, it's got the Raimi vibes all over it, and you, as we talked about with Multiverse of Madness and several other films, like if you're into that Raimi vibe, you're in. And if you're not into that Raimi vibe, this might be outside your area of enjoyment. So I don't know. I'm, I'm very intrigued by the whole thing because it's like, it's well, it's kind of like we said. I mean, how many in the era of uh, of the John Wick movies, of everything else, like the idea of or Kill Bill, like you could just go down the list of like, I was wronged as a child or as a young person or at a certain point in my life. And that wrong sent me on a bloody rampage where I killed everyone who wronged me. It is a structure that we all, at this point in life and society, enjoy. And you kind of are always like, what can I do to make this story different? Like, John Wick was like, they killed his dog. And you're like, I'm fucking in. Yeah. Uh, this one is, I'm a deaf mute, and I have Coach McGurk's voice in my head. And you're like, well, as far as choosing something that nobody else has chosen, you've hit the jackpot. We'll see if it works. Yeah, Johnny. listen, this is, you know, this is up my alley. I mean, Revenge, <laughs> done, check. H. John Benjamin, check. Uh, even Bill Skarsgård looking like young. I was just like, this is weird, but I'm, I'm in for this. And he's wearing almost like a sleeveless Michael Jackson 1980s <laughs> jacket, which I think is an interesting element to throw into those. But then you throw the in Charlotte. Yeah, there's a thriller jacket. You throw in Charlotte Copley and Andrew Koji, which I think is a great combo. Both of them doing some nice comedy in this. Nice to see Copley coming back in a number of projects. So I'm excited that he's kind of back in our purview uh, as well. Then you get Michelle Dockery and Brett Gelman. Two people who look nothing like each other, but they're apparently brother and sister in this family. <laughs> Famke Jansen, who I love to pieces, being a part of this as well. And this is just another one, as you were mentioning, Michael. Like, we've got Monkey Man coming, which looks like this as well. Like a child wronged, going to revenge his mother against this evil person. We've seen this. And so, across the board, this is working for a lot of people. What, Violent Night? I think a lot of people enjoyed that yeah. over Christmas as well, seeing that with David Harbour. So... Although, you know, we, we think we are so divided in our movie-going tastes, these movies come along, and I think it, it, it appeals to a lot of people across the spectrum, from nerds who've been wronged and have this nerd rage from being bullied to these people who are overtly alpha and want to see violence in movies. There's a lot here in these kinds of movies that if you do them right, it'll appeal to a wide spectrum of people. Not it's going to make a billion dollars, but there's enough people who want to see their revenge fantasies played out through characters in a movie so they can be satisfied by the end of it and kind of enjoy that living vicariously through that. And so I think that these movies are filling a need that has been building uh, throughout over the last few years. And I, it's great to see something like this coming out. I hope it's good. I just hope it's good at the end of the day because this director is not that experienced as I was looking at his resume. Uh, so I hope at the end of the day, this is a fun story and kind of a quiet hit that people will like. We'll so here's the question. Nobody's another one as well. Like nobody, right? The one with uh, Odenkirk was great. So, yeah. yeah. Here, nobody is great. Yeah. Uh, that movie is great. Yeah. Here's my question. Are you more excited for Boy Kills World or Monkey Man? Monkey Man, hands down. Because I, I go, I go to, because it's Dev Patel. I will, I'd love to see, and it's got an, a harder edge to it. And I think it's making a commentary, a social commentary as well. So it's working for me on many, many levels. Well, this one is a fun Saturday afternoon. Shannon and I getting three beers at the fucking brewery and going over and seeing it. Oh, please. 
please, you go to Disneyland, don't even invite me. So you can put those hands down right now. So those kinds of things that I enjoy to see. I mean, this is an hour away from my house, but it's okay. Uh, But like, those are the things that I love to to enjoy with Shannon when I used to live in LA. But yes, much more. By the way, Shannon and I were at Disneyland and we were at Oga's Cantina having a drink and we're like, we got to invite Johnny. Is he going to come? And you're like, I don't know. I don't know. Is Johnny going to, is Johnny going to pay for that ticket? Like that's a steep price for a little day trip. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'm doing all right. You don't need to worry about money with me anymore. Right. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. All right. Geek buddies, well, geek buddies, Disney day. Geek buddies. Disney I day? told you I'm in. And when those new, and I'm telling you about the new things they're adding to Orlando, I'd be down to fly into Orlando Whoa, Anytime whoa, you guys want to go whoa, and go whoa. to I Universal, we were talking about and... an hour away from your house. Yeah, I mean, I say I can go to that one, but I'm saying if you guys ever want to go to Orlando to see the new rides that are popping up there, man, I'd be down. So they're adding more to that Harry Potter land for God's sake. Anyway, we get, we're off topic now. We're, we're so, we'll, topic. <laughs> Will the world survive, boy? Will Vogel survive, Roca? We'll find out because Boy Kills World comes out on April 26th, and that brings us to our last trailer. Better that help. is the- hello, better help. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need help when your friends go to Disneyland without you? Try better help. Give them a try. No, it was, I was good. That, <laughs> our last trailer is the big screen adaptation of the video game Borderlands. Directed by Eli Roth, which is like, ah, okay. <laughs> Man, the cast. Like, if you, if you need an uh, intergalactic heist pulled off, who better to call than Kate Blanchett? Uh, Kevin Hart, Ariana Greenblatt, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Jack Black as the voice of Claptrap. Um, yeah, this is another one of those wild trailers. To me, this is giving off like serious like uh, Guardian, uh, Guardians, James Gunn vibes coming out in August. Um, kind of seems like the perfect time for it to come out. But gentlemen, I'll throw it over to you first. Mikey, what did you think of our first look at Borderlands? When you say throwing off Guardians vibes. <laughs> 80s soundtrack, bright, bright, brightly colored world. Oh, no, no. I get it. I would go. <laughs> Look, I get that this is based on Borderlands, the game, and that, that this, this is what mm. the game is. But, like, there's a certain point when you watch a trailer and you go, like, you know, we talked about this with Monkey Man. Just we bring it, like, like yeah. Oh, Monkey Man, it feels like a John Wick kind of movie. Like, this is cool. I love these revenge kind of things. Then there's certain times you watch a trailer and you're like, this is Guardians. Yeah. yeah. This is Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, just the, the, at a certain point, you kind of, as you're cutting this trailer together and you're doing everything, it's like, guys, we want to give you that feeling of Guardians of the Galaxy without completely aping Guardians of the Galaxy. And this one... <laughs> And look, I'm not I'm not a Borderlands player. So if, in the comments, if you're like Vogel, shut the fuck up. This is exactly what the game is. We love it. We're on board. I can't wait. I I I would I would I would lean to agree with the Borderlands fans more than I agree with myself. Me watching this trailer, I was like, I love Kate Blanchett. This is Guardians of the Galaxy. Like <laughs> like is this is this is this is like this looks like a not quite as good version of Guardians of the Galaxy to me. Will I go see it? Yeah. You know what? It's one of those Saturday afternoon movies where I go by myself because my friends are oh, having beers my without God. me. Oh. So I go see the movie all alone and go, Ooh. I guess that was fun. Maybe it would have been more fun with my friends, but apparently they don't want to call me. So I just went alone. Cool. But, you know. Oh. Uh, but, yeah, like the trailer, it was It was like, at first I was like, okay, this seems fun in a Guardian's way. And by the end of the trailer, I was like, guys, it's Guardians. Come on. <laughs> That's true. I got that vibe as well. I mean, you don't invite him to Thor Dark World. My life's been a living hell ever since. Yeah, I agree. Listen, <laughs> I agree with you. This is this is Mad Max Expendables and Guardians all mixed into one. It's nuts. It's crazy. I'm with Shannon. Eli Roth, ooh, as a director, I'm not the biggest fan of Eli Roth as a director. Plus, it's Lionsgate and Eli Roth. That does not necessarily equal quality to me. And this was shot three years ago. So it's been in post-production for three years. Uh, so I'm concerned to see what we're going to get. But the trailer was bonkers. And it could be possibly fun or it could be supremely terrible. That being said, seeing Kate Blanchett uh, um, not take herself so seriously because she's such a great actress in those serious roles. I always love seeing that with her. And so with Hella and other roles that she's played where she gets to be bonkers, she's a lot of fun. And so I like that she's leading this cast. And I like Ariana Greenblatt. I'm really a huge fan of hers. I like that she's building 
and doing these kind of interesting roles from Barbie to this to other stuff mm-hmm. um, so that she's having some fun as an actress as well. And Florian Montanu there, who Shannon forgot to mention, that is the that's Ivan Drago's son in uh, in um, Creed 2. So seeing him be the big heavy, I think it's going to be fun to see in this movie as well. So yeah, I mean, look at it. It is true. Like, I don't. You guys don't. You guys don't subscribe to the homosexual handbook because you're not homosexual. But it is a rule in the homosexual handbook that we have to go see movies that Kate Blanchett is in. So uh, I'm going. Interesting. Like, like you, like it is. Like I would say, I would say with this trailer that, like, if I had watched it and it had been mm. Ariana Greenblatt, Kevin Hart, voice of Jack Black, and like anyone else aside from her and then Jamie Lee Curtis, I'd be like, uh, maybe I'll skip this one. But then you're like, hey, it's Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, it's Kate Blanchett. Well, fuck, I gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> no, it's just, it's a rule. I, I gotta go see it. We'll see. We'll see how it is. Well, Borderlands is coming out at the end of summer, August 9th. There we go. All right. Well, thanks, Shannon, for those trailers. Let's take a quick break, and we're gonna jump into the Bad Batch season three, episodes one through three. A uh, quick spoiler review here right after this. Boom. It's always a joy to know which which theme Shannon likes versus which ones he doesn't. Like the one like where you're like where he nails it, like he comes out of the gate and you're like, oh wow, that that is the bad batch theme. And then the ones where he's like, and you're like, oh no, not not your okay, not not your tempo, not your tempo. Oh, J.K. Um, all right, let's get into it. The Bad Batch Season 3, Episodes 1 through 3, dropped just a few days ago here. Confined Paths Unknown and Shadows of Tantus. I've taken to calling this the Tantus arc. Um, and uh, this one basically focused on Omega finding her way out of this, uh, out of uh, this, uh, out of Tantus. There with Crosshair, we have Wrecker and we have Hunter trying to figure out what to do to get there uh, and try to track down Omega. Um, and of course, uh, we're dealing with the loss of tech at the end of uh, last season. So, Michael, I go to you overall. And this is a spoiler review for anybody who hasn't watched it. We're doing we're going to spoil it for about 15, uh, 20 minutes. Uh, so just letting you know ahead of time. So if you want to stop here, go and watch it and then come on back to finish out this show. Feel free. Michael, your overall thoughts on these first three episodes here for season three? Overall happy. Overall feeling good. Like, I think, um, I mean, I, when we're going to get, like, what each episode to episode, uh, a couple different thoughts. But, you know, overall, they always pitch Bad Batch as, like, it's the A-team with the clones. Yeah. And we're now that we're getting to the end of the season, I feel like that was, like, a, that was one of their mistakes. I think that the whole concept of the A-team is here's this character, here's these characters, and each week it's a new, oh, we're helping these people here, we're helping these people here. And Bad Batch, when it's an episode of the week... Yeah. Here's some characters. The Bad Batch helped them. We're always like, okay, cool, but where are we going? Where are we going? Right. And when they get into the bigger shit, you're like, all right, here we go. Here we go. And overall, these first three episodes felt like we were finally getting into the shit. Yeah. Like, here's stuff that we've been hinting at for two seasons, and now that we are at the very end of it, we're like, we're, we're finally kind of just firing on all cylinders. And so there just was a sense of urgency and a sense of excitement and a sense of big stories being told that sometimes in the past two seasons, Bad Batch has had trouble sort of felt like we had a lot of start stops. Like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Nope. Now we're just on a planet and doing this thing with these people that don't really matter. And this this felt bigger to me, which was great. And then also, and I think this is just going to be true of every Star Wars animated show that comes out until there's no more Star Wars shows. It is stupid how pretty this show is. Yeah. It is dumb at this point. Like, I'm just staring at my screen with my mouth hanging open yeah. as an animation guy going, are you are you kidding me with this? <laughs> like, this is, this is beyond at this point. Like, what, like, even with What If, which is a show mm. that I love, and I love the style of What If, but some of the choices made in What If, as far as the visual style and the choices they made are, we can only go this far with the budget. Here's how we're going to treat these characters. We're going to do these painted backgrounds. Bad Batch is like, fuck you. Here's all the money. Go to town. Like, it's wild. So overall, I'll get into specifics, but overall, I was happy with these three episodes. Yeah, what do you think, Shannon, overall in these three episodes? What are you feeling? I, you know, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think, like Vogel, Vogel put it right, that this, is, this was the promise of the show from the beginning was this yeah. sort of you know this this is a this is a dark time in a galaxy far far away and watching 
uh, Omega, who as a character, she can be fun. She can be a little grating in the earlier seasons. Um, but I think kind of having her on her heels yeah. in the in her in her two episodes really, really worked. I love the pairing of her and and a uh, a, a crosshair who's maybe starting to find his groove again. Yeah. Um, and and especially in that first episode, like I love the pace. I mean, it really reminded me of Andor. Yeah. Like it was just a very yeah. slower, deliberate pace. And even though the Hunter and Wrecker episode, it did have that kind of adventure of the week vibe. But I feel like in terms of what they used in that adventure of the week, I thought it I thought it really worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the type of thing that like, I don't know, like obviously Filoni is a is a creator, co-creator. Obviously, he is involved in some capacity. And as as we learned in Osoka, um, Filoni, Filoni really likes to take his time with things. Um, so season three, I think we're finally getting the thing that we've wanted since the beginning. Yeah, hundred percent. I love that. The, I love that. There's a nice. Um, I think the Andor thing is a great comparison, Shannon. I, I love that. There's a nice vibe of darkness throughout, and there's always been a darkness to the Bad Batch in certain episodes, for sure. I'm not saying that they all of a sudden discovered it, but it's been nice to see that it's a prevalent feeling through all three of these first through two episodes first three episodes especially in that first episode seeing crosshairs twitch his hand twitch mm-hmm. is is something that really is unsettling to see if you know people who've um, um survived wars and the ptsd that they deal with the tremors the facial tics things of that nature it brings that all back for me as a military guy seeing her blood being taken and nala say speaking to her in such hushed scared tones which is something that's really unsettling to see, especially when you, um, you know, remember some of the experiments that uh, that the Nazis did at the in the Holocaust to um, the Jewish people that they imprisoned there. There's elements of that trying to purify the blood, trying to find the M count for this blood so they can live longer. This kind of thing, you're just like, wow, this is really unsettling. Some of the some of the elements here, and then the second episode, seeing that insane monster that was come that it was born out of these experiments, and it's essentially a um, a uh, um, a Sarlacc pit on steroids, an angry steroids, roid raging the whole time. A lot of darkness in that, and the three <laughs> and the three clones. A roid raged Sarlacc pit. <laughs> That's is, what it looked uh... like to me. And those three kid clones saying like, what, what, when they answer when they when Wrecker and Hunter asked what experiments they pulled on them, and they said pretty much everything. And that like already your mind can go to some really dark places of what these people might have done to these three young clones. And it's scary to think about that. And then in the third episode, of course, seeing the Emperor showing up and now we're connecting it back up to uh, uh, to the uh, sequel trilogy and how he gets cloned. So seeing that they want to use these elements to make this all happen uh, and how um, how uh, uh, Omega is the one who lo- uh, improvises a plan to escape with crosshair that I thought was really cool to see. So for me overall, this was a fantastic, uh, a fantastic first three episodes start of the season. Michael, specifically, do you want to get into things? I mean, we don't have so much time. So what specifically do you want to get into from these three episodes that we should well, make sure we highlight? Shannon kind of touched on it. Like, mm. you know, like we, 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 we were talking about Avatar and how it feels very rushed in the live action version. And I think yeah, yeah. sometimes we, we, we tend to go, oh, well, you know, animated shows are quick and this and this, and then live action is supposed to be this. But with Bad Batch, Shannon's absolutely right. That first episode, really just taking the time to show yeah, how yeah. trapped Omega is. Her, what her this daily life, her is daily routine. Inside Mount Tantis. Like, yeah. I think it was just such a beautifully shot episode. It was really nice. And Shannon's 100% right. Omega has not always been the most enjoyable mm. character. True. And watching her in this situation, really struggling to figure out what's going on, uh, insistent that she's going to escape, kind of like telling Crosshair she's going to be there for him no matter what. Uh, like it was a great Omega to me. Like yeah. this was this was a really lovely, mature Omega who's seen the world, and I, I really enjoyed it. The second episode definitely had that like adventure of the week, and like to your point, the Roid Rage Sarlacc pit looked awesome. Mm-hmm. The we've got to go get the thing. It all makes sense. It's all very well constructed. Yeah. Where I think it was better than some of the others is I think this show on the whole works best when it focuses on clones. Dave Filoni yeah. in Clone Wars took something that we all thought was kind of silly in Attack of the Clone. A lot, sorry, some of us thought was silly in Attack <laughs> of the Clones, uh, and he turned the clones into like some of the most beloved characters in Star Wars. So Bad Batch, when Bad Batch, when Bad Batch deals with stories that are like, this is what happened to the clones post Palpatine taking over. Mm-hmm. This is what happens to the clones in the world of the Empire. I think it's good. So even though the second episode had a little bit of like, 
episode of the week. And I'm like, come on, get back to Tantus. This is more interesting because it was dealing with these younger clones who kind of had been experimented on. I was like, okay, it still ties in thematically. I'm into it. And then the third episode was just great uh, for multiple levels. One, Palpatine coming in, tying it into the bigger story. We all yeah. know that they're trying to solve how Palpatine somehow returned and make it seem cool. They're doing a decent enough job. Yeah. Um, but like the fact that Omega is the key to Palpatine uh, having a clone that has an M count that stays high enough. Can't believe I'm using M count unironically. Damn you, Filoni, for bringing midi-chlorians in and kind of making them make sense. Um, and then yeah. also just watching Omega and Crosshair escape together. And, like, the moment in the episode where, like, A, when Omega's like, I'm really sorry I fucked up, and Crosshair's like, hey, you got us this far. Yeah. Like, seeing this relationship between the two of them Gross. sort of balance itself out. And then when she's, when, when, when Crosshair's like, when she's like, what are we going to do? And Crosshair's like, did, did they ever teach you Plan 72? And she's like, Tech made me memorize every plan. And then they just go into it. <laughs> and the two of them seamlessly taking on an entire squadron of Imperial troops and getting the better of them, I'm like, this is some good shit. And then just all of the push and pull of Hemlock being like, shoot them out of the sky. Mm. And then Emery coming in and being like, don't shoot them out of the sky. She's the key. Oh, I have to let them go. But now the entire empire is chasing Crosshair and Omega while Wrecker and Hunter are trying to find them. Like, like I'm like, okay, this is like the holy shit, I can't wait for next week energy that I've been waiting for as opposed to Oh look, tech tech was in a race. That was fun. I wonder what's gonna happen next week. Like this is like the give me the goods. And so I, I left feeling very, very uh sated as a Star Wars fan. Oh, good work. Uh Shannon, your thoughts on each of these episodes specifically, what stood out to you? What really you really want to highlight here uh in your review? I mean, again, the pace. The pace of episode one was really great. There was, um, you know, a really somber underscore sort of, you know, uh, illustrating the loneliness and the isolation that Omega is going through right now. And the little the little seeds that they plant, the fact that she has to, to feed the feed those, those hounds and the the uh, bond that she ends up making. Like, I love how many shots we got of Omega and Crosshair passing each other in the halls. Like, I thought that was just really good filmmaking and then to skip to episode three um when she said when crosshair is like you know why would you do this for me if i had a chance to escape i would not i would not wait for you mm -hmm. and she's like yes you would like you're my brother and he says i'm not them like oh like that's just such a great arc for crosshair and when you think about the previous two seasons and how many times they didn't use crosshair it's like man you should have used this character more yeah. like like eventually you are going to run out of things that you can do with him but i feel like based off of where he is right now i'm like there was more mileage there was more gas in that tank that you probably should have used i mean as they're doing plan 72 um when he takes that one trooper the ones that have the illuminated visor yeah. and he's kind of you know smacking his head up against the wall and the the visor eventually goes out like he literally knocked his lights out <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> I saw that. I thought of it. I was watching. I'm like, oh, I hope I, I hope I remember oh, this. The fact, the, fact that, the fact that it's not even in the moment. The fact that you were watching it and you were like, ah, lights out. Put that one down for the show. Bang. Oh God, damn it! <laughs> but in episode two, um, again, like I, I like the the re revisiting of the pike that cut off cut off the horn yeah like, durand is, is yeah yeah this Durand's is right. a great this is a great thread to pick up this is yeah. a great sort of you know kickoff to the episode and the younger regs i mean basically yeah. the empire got to like we're not going to use they, they were things they weren't people yeah. anymore it's like you know we're not going to use these things and they just kind of toss them away and even seeing like throughout the clone wars we get to we get to know all of the individual clones and how they have their own unique personalities and you can see it it starts with the younger ones as well i mean and yeah the moment where it's like the one the one younger clone is saying let's take the ship let's go right like that's that's something that crosshair would have done and then you see that they're able to take the ship and then make that rescue for an adventure of the week episode i thought it was a good adventure of the week. i agree yeah yeah, yeah, I agree. Because it tied into the overall story well. Yeah, Michael, you wanted to chime in with something else? Yeah, you know that that later of the Duran Syndicate, Syndicate was Angelica Houston? Yes. Yes. What? That was Angelica Houston. She, yes. It was really funny because it was one of the things I'm like, I'm like, this voice is good. Like, this is for, for a bit character 
So I'm assuming they might not be big characters, but like, yeah. but like really kind of tying that into the bigger crime syndicate world and the pikes and everything else. And like, all of a sudden there's this, there's this character. I'm like, this character is very interesting and sounds very cool. Oh, it's Angelica Houston. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I guess because she had done, you know, star, uh, star Wars, uh, visions, the second season, she'd done a character on that voice, yeah. the character on that. They wanted to use her again here. I thought she did a great job as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think they're absolutely planting seeds for things that we're going to see later on yeah. in, the, in the season with them as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed um, uh, seeing more with Omega and, and Emery as well, getting more with their interactions. Keisha Castle-Hughes doing a wonderful job voicing her over. There's more fruit to be born from that relationship. What? How is Omega, with more exposure to Emery, how is she changing her? Because think about Omega, as Shannon said so well, if I could agree with she has been annoying at times in the first two seasons, right? But there's the thing that can be annoying about her sometimes is her very um, strong idea of what is right and wrong. She does not have a lot of gray area in her mind. And the same thing applies throughout her in these first three episodes. You know, she's very clear. She's always going to break the rules or, 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 or um, not listen to certain things if she believes it's not right to do so, right? And like saving that uh, it was a batcher that uh, that uh, creature there she said even though the droids saying no we're going to exterminate it whatever terminate it no she saves him and tries to uh, tries to make sure she he's okay but then and it bears, bears fruit later when they attack that other creature that's coming after them when they're escaping so i love that and the way she talks to amory as well she is trying to make it clear to amory this is not the way to go this is not the life we're supposed to be living this is not cool what's happening here and that may affect how emory is going to deal yeah. with hemlock down the road so and with crosshair right because crosshair shannon you left out one extra line after you were retailing everything he says crosshair says i'm not worth saving so he's very clear about the punishment that he wants to impose on himself for the mistakes he's made i'm not them where that would be judgmental in season two now it comes across as like i'm not as good as them and i think that's where you see a little bit of, a little bit of that relationship developing and he's essentially going to replace tech it seems like for her relationship with tech so yeah. we'll see if he's dead we'll see um and I, mean, all I don't the, know who's making it out of this show alive like by the by the why like i, I i'm like well, is omega gonna die now yeah she's yeah, the key right, to right. palpatine or the clones are gonna die because we know they're yeah. not like who's the fuck is gonna happen yeah and i do want to say one last thing the second episode having that scene between hunter and wrecker where wrecker is the one telling hunter you know the last time we went in without backup we didn't all come out wrecker of all people being cautious and i thought yeah. that is an interesting change for these uh, uh, for these uh, uh, characters as well. So yeah, just top to bottom, this was excellent, excellent way to start the third season. I hope they keep this momentum and approach through all the episodes, but we shall see. I, that was that was my I got I got done with season three and I was like, well, here we go. And I was like, man, if we tune in next week and Hunter and Wrecker stop on Hoth to help a Wampa who got a thorn in his paw. I'm going to be like, man, come on. Like, give me the goods. Like, let's just go. Yeah. Also, what's in Hemlock's vault? What is in that vault? We, I hope we find um, out. As we you go. know what's in that vault. Mm. A bunch of baby Snokes. <laughs> because because so basically now, canonically, and this is not exactly right with how cloning works, but like, Ooh. is Omega... Ray's great-grandmother? Yes. I mean, there's some kind of connection there, possibly. Like if, yeah. if Omega is the clone, whose right. blood is the thing that makes the clone, and then, like, I'm like, okay, so yeah. we're, like, now, like, like, like Ray is going to get in the next trilogy and stand up and be like, I'm a clone, like my great-grandmother before me. Like, that's basically... Yeah. Will Omega show up as a force ghost? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm um, Omega. I... I'm a force ghost. <laughs> Right. Um, and then one last shout out to uh, Julian Dennison, who uh, voiced Deacon Stack from episode two there. And Daniel Logan, who was Mox. I think it's, is it Daniel Logan or Julian Dennison? One of them played young, uh, young Boba Fett in the uh, Daniel Rangers. Logan. Yeah, Daniel Logan. So nice to see him being a part of this as well. And of course, Ian McDermott, Bat, even though Ian McDermott has been talking about Palpatine having sex, please stop talking about that. Um, all right, uh, let's uh, wrap it up there because I know we've got a hard out for a certain somebody on this crew, so we better get on out of here. Thank you all so much for watching this episode of the Geek Buddies. We appreciate it madly. Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, I'd like to follow us on social media. On Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MKToon. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Says. Mikey. 
Um, we love hanging out with you. We love going to the movies with you. Maybe you can come to the movies with me next time because I'll be by myself because oh. Shannon and Roca will be oh. off having beers. Just the two of them. Oh but God. when you and I are hanging out, you can also smash that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the amazing content he's got there. Leave your comments below. What did you think of everything this week? What did you think of Avatar? What did you think of Bad Batch? What did you think of these trailers? What do you think of Tom Cruise's acting? Let us know below. Uh, if you're listening to us on a podcast, leave us some stars and some comments so we go up in the rankings. And as always, the best thing you can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. Yeah, there you go. All right. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Be well. We'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode here of The Geek Buddies. (gasps) Hey! Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.